Bless you. We welcome everybody watching us by live stream. We encourage you to uh, just to be a, everybody say it with me, 22nd missionary. Try it. Share the stream. So if you have social media and you have some way, I mean, we're streaming right now on Facebook, so you can just share the stream and just let everybody know. We want to encourage you out there as well. Share the stream. Uh, doing a uh, series on prayer, which is a very important subject in the Bible. Can we agree? Yeah. Right. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's right. Not a house of preaching, not a house of teaching or worship. Those things are important. But, it's, but he said more than anything, it's, about, it's, it's a house of prayer. So the premise of this is basically taking the Lord's Prayer. Everybody say it with me. Our Father, come on. That's right. Come on, you can say it. Come on. That's right. Come on. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. For yours is the or deliver lead us not into temptation. I got to get it right. But deliver us from evil. Someone's like, pray for that pastor. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, right? So we say that prayer, and we're taught, like even as little kids, to see if you're a Christian or even in, in conceptually, like the world knows that prayer. But what that prayer is, is it's not so much as a mantra as much as it is a divine progression. And so we're, I'm, we're taking this prayer, and we want to break it down, and I want to show you that it's a divine progression. The disciples wanted Jesus to teach them to pray. It's very important. Why? Why would they want him to teach him to pray? Jesus never told them, listen, you guys need to listen to me so I can teach you to pray. He never, that subject never came up. But the disciples witnessed something about Jesus was that there was something that was in between places of prayer. He would punctuate his life with places of prayer. And in between the places of prayer, miracles would happen. And so they realized, wait a second, we pray, but nothing happens when we pray. But Jesus goes away, comes back after prayer, and boom, the heavens drop, right? So they asked Jesus, how do you pray? Show us how to pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord says to him, says to the disciples, in this manner, pray. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about like just the subject of our Father in heaven, and that's what we've been talking about. Just that little word, our Father. It, what does it indicate? So we, it indicates a lot of things, but the thing that it shows us is how God initially wants to relate to us. He wants us to relate to him on the basis of family. He's our father. He's not the world's father. He's our father. And so when you come to the Lord in prayer, that little section of prayer, you're coming before him and you're saying, you are my father. It's a positioning of yourself in identity. You understand that? Not everybody gets to call him father. Those who are in Christ, they, are the, they get the ability to be the sons and daughters of God. Not everybody gets that ability. So when we come before God, he is our father, right? And what is the indication back to myself is that I'm a son. So it's a positioning aspect. This is how prayer works. We oftentimes don't understand how to activate this kingdom. It's particularly through prayer because we're praying. And James says when we pray amiss, nothing happens. So when we don't pray effectively or we don't pray correctly, I'm not saying not all prayer is not heard. Uh, but not all prayer. All prayer is heard, but God doesn't recognize them sometimes, oftentimes because we don't position ourselves correctly. And so the Bible says the effectual fervent prayers of the righteous avail much. We have a lot of fervency in our prayers sometimes, but we're not often praying for effect. And the reason that we're not praying for effect is we don't understand the process of prayer. We have to understand it. So kingdom is released, right? So there are keys. Jesus gave Peter the keys to what? That's right. So what does that mean? There are keys to the kingdom. 
there are things that are done that you can be applied that will unlock things that can't be opened any other way. One of the keys to the kingdom is prayer, but it's not just prayer in and of itself. It's effective prayer. And so here's an effective point. When you come before God, prayer begins with positioning. Let's just say that. Prayer begins with positioning. This is exactly what's going on. Father, what does that mean? I'm your son. I stand before you. I take my rightful place before you. I don't come before you as a beggar. See, Jesus could have started that prayer any other way, right? He could have said, when you pray, pray like this. Oh, great and mighty God, who's out there in the universe somewhere far, far away in a galaxy far, far away. I just come crawling to you as just a miserable worm, disgusted even with myself. I, I just, if, if you just have a moment of time to just look upon me with some inkling of mercy, if you're in a good mood today, whoever you are, God, please look upon He didn't tell them to start that way. He immediately tells them to position themselves. Call him, call upon your father. Position yourself as a son or a daughter. Say it with me. My position, My position. as a son or a daughter is not based upon me. It has nothing to do with you. The only thing that puts you in that position was when you received Christ in your heart. So we get this guilt and we get this shame or we get this condemnation that we can't call upon the Lord based upon our actions, based upon our guilt, our shame, or our own inabilities. His strength is perfected where? In our weakness, right? So the idea is that we, we we gotta get our head and our heart right if we're going to pray effectively. So I'm gonna show you how I pray this prayer Right? So that's what I've been trying to model for you. So it's a little offbeat for me. It's a little vulnerable because I pray, I pray it very interactively because I believe we have a living God. Do we not? He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the... That's right. So our faith is alive. This isn't something we observe. This is something we participate in. The kingdom is alive. He lives in me. He moves in me. I can relate to him in a real and living way. And so can you. All right, so we're going to talk about this. So it's a progression of prayer given by divine instruction. The immediate thing that Jesus tells us to do is position ourselves. Position yourself, right? So he's your father. We are sons and daughters, and in him we have an inheritance. We're going to talk about that. And he says, hallowed, so it's our father who's in heaven. The next section of prayer is honoring his name. So it's the positioning first, the sonship. It's the positioning first in the right standing that you get to call him father. The angels don't get to call him father, Christian. No one does. The unbeliever doesn't get to call him father. No, they don't. I just want to blow the misnomer out, and every time I get a chance to broadside this, I'm going to. We are not all God's children. We are all God's creation, but only those in Christ have been given the power and the right to be called the children of God, sons and daughters, exactly. So only in Christ are you a son and daughter. So just understand that. What does that mean? It means you're exceptional. It means you're not common. It means you have access that others don't. It means you have favor that others don't. Nothing fair about favor, right? The the bread is for the who? Who's the bread for? Come on, yeah, why? Boom, you get it. The bread's not for everybody. The unbeliever came to Jesus wanting wanting bread. Jesus said, what you're asking for doesn't belong to you. I you I give you rights, you get rain, you get food, you get basic provision, but you're asking me for a covenant promise that is not yours. The bread belongs to the children. And she, by faith, said yes, but even dogs eat crumbs that fall from the master's table. You know the story, right? And Jesus perceived her faith. She perceived not just her, his, her faith, she perceived the honor that he was pay, she was paying him. This is a big principle. We're probably going to say this a few times today. Say it with me. Honor, honor. creates access. Uh-huh. How did she access him? Through honor. 
She called him master. She understood who he was. And the, the conversation indicates not just his position and honoring him in the position that he holds, but she, she believed that he was kind, merciful, and generous. That you are a greater master than the one that lets a dog eat. I know you're greater than that. And the Lord looked at her and said, wow, your faith. You know, he, she accessed him through the honor and the faith that she demonstrated. She believed that he was. They that come to him must believe that he is who, and he is a rewarder, that he is who he says he is, and that he will reward those who seek him. So we come with identity, we come with position, and then we come with honor. So we, we position ourselves, Father, I'm your son. I approach you today in the name of Jesus, and we begin to honor his name. That's what the word hallowed or hallowed means. Honored means, it means set apart, means there's no one like you. So when we hallow the name of God, we're calling upon a God who is incomparable. There is no comparison to him. Not in his greatness, in his glory, but one of the ways that God is incomparable is in the way that he loves us. One of the ways that God is incomparable is the way that he gives us access to himself. You understand that? He gives us access to himself. The angels don't get to draw from God's nature, but you do. You get to draw from the Father's very nature. It's all of yours in Christ. We're going to talk about inheritance. I'm going to break it down for you, and I'm going to show you how God relates to us and what is really yours in Christ. Every believer has what I'm about to tell you this morning. Every believer has it. Doesn't mean every believer accesses it. Doesn't mean every believer does anything with it, right? So we have inheritance, we have destiny, and we have significance. Those are three separate things, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit this morning about inheritance, one of the ways that we, one of the, one of the aspects of inheritance is through his name. That's an inherited right. So God does everything through his name, right? So his name, his, his name, his word he holds above his name, right? So, but God's name is very, very important to him. To him. And God, when he gives access into his name. So what does the Bible tell us about God's name? The first name that's revealed in scriptures is this word Elohim. Elohim means supreme judge, almighty God, all-powerful, Understand? That's how most people, if there's a God, he's the supreme being or anything like that. But we do know that the, the angels call him Elohim. In the beginning, God, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Guess what? In Christ, you don't call him Elohim. He's not your Elohim. He's your Yahweh. He's your Jehovah. He's your Adonai. Totally different names. God gives you, in Christ, access to a side of himself that nobody else gets. You have it. You, it's not an issue of whether or not you have it. The issue is, is whether or not you're going to access it. So the, the supreme being, the judge, and the authority. That's the first revealed name that God puts in his word is Elohim. Angels don't know him any other way. The devil doesn't know him any other way. The devil doesn't know him as Yahweh. The devil knows him as Elohim, the judge, the almighty, the powerful. But he gives another side of his name, and it's called a tetragrammaton. So it's this big word. So God's name, they, I don't know why they do this, but I, just, I guess it just means to make people sound smart. So, they, they, so the name of the Lord is, say it with me, tetragrammaton. Do you know what it means? Four letters. That's literally what that word means. So God's name, so they say the tetragrammaton of the Lord, which means his four letters, is this basically this, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh or Yahweh. So, God, when he revealed his name to Abraham, so Abraham was one of the, apart from Adam, Abraham was the first, we have Noah, but when God began to reveal his nature through Abraham, he went into covenant with Abraham. And when God went into covenant with Abraham, covenant creates intimacy. And so the Lord being, coming into a covenant with Abraham allowed 
Abraham to have intimacy, which is into me you see. And so God allowed Abraham to see into himself or expose the side of his nature that he had never revealed before. And we get this word Yahovah or Yahweh or Jehovah from this word tetragamatron. And, the, and what it really is, Yehovah or Yahweh is Hebrew, but when it's transliterated from Hebrew into Greek or when it's transliterated from Hebrew into Latin, the letters don't always line up. And so Yahweh or Yehovah becomes Jehovah. You get it? So Jehovah is the, sort of the Latin and Greek translation, and the Hebrew translation is Yahweh or Yehovah, right? I don't know if I'm confusing you. Am I, am I losing you? But what does this name mean? It means the becoming one. It means I am. That's where we get the word I am. This is Yehovah. And it means I am. What does it mean? I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the past, the present, and the future. I am all things. This is the covenant name. And from this covenant name, God does something with his name. He creates a compound name. So he takes Yehovah, and he begins throughout the scriptures, he begins to attach other parts of his nature to the name Yehovah or Jehovah. Can anybody know what Jesus means? Yes, but it means Jehovah saves. His Hebrew name is Yeshua. The Greek transliteration of Yeshua is Jesus so you see he takes the J-E and he adds to it. So Jehovah saves. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua or Yahweh saves. You get it? So God takes his nature. What does that mean? I am the God who saves you from your past, your present, and your future. I am the becoming one. I am salvation. You get the point? There is no other name given under heaven by which men may be saved. So God takes his name. The name Jesus means there's salvation and no other. I am salvation. The name Jesus means I am your salvation of your past, I am the salvation of your present, and I am the salvation of your future. I am the eternal. I am the alpha. I am the omega. That's, you, that's Yahweh. You get what I'm going at? So that what's in a name? That's why we're like, at the name of Jesus, as if Jesus is some magnificent, like, we know Jesus must be the most special name in the whole world. Well, it is because of what, it's a, what it means and where it's attached and where it's coming from. It's coming from the essence of God's nature, the covenant nature of God. Yahweh, Yehovah, I am. This is where everything is going to come out. So when the Bible says, hallow the names of the Lord, or hallowed be your name, well, what is his name? That's, this is what his name looks like. This is the name he joins, and he joins it to his nature. The Lord is a, say it with me, the Lord is a covenant God, and he's a promise keeper. He makes covenant with you. He loves covenant. Covenant is not a contract. Covenant is a bond. Is a bond. Right? So when you come to Christ, you come into the new, right? Which means if you are faithless, he's faithful. It means it's not a contract where if you perform, then I'll perform. That's not a covenant. Oh, come on. Who said that's right? That's right. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> this is a covenant that says even if you don't perform, I will still hold up my end. Okay, ready? Everybody grab the chair. This is actually what marriage is. Marriage is a covenant. Now get it. Marriages fail. Marriages fall apart. All kinds of things blow up. But God's concept and God's original perspective, and I realize sometimes things are just not manageable and things go sideways and go all over the place. But God's original intent for marriage was to be, it is a covenant. It's not a contract. That's why we need to understand that. Which, that's why the Bible says, love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. If she's a godly woman, give up your life for her, gentlemen. She's not perfect. I know she's not. 
I feel like I want to kill her. I know, but kill yourself instead and humble yourself and lay your life down. Right? This is why God designed it. He loves covenants. And in the covenant, God gives us aspects, right? So he makes a covenant with us, and he promises you, I will always be with you. I will always take care of you. This is what he promises us. And God says, have I not said it, will I not do it? Have I not purposed it within my heart, will I not bring it to pass? If God says something, it's going to happen. If God binds himself to something, he doesn't relent. He doesn't pull back. You may pull back, but he doesn't. So oftentimes we go and we do stupid things, right? And we think, oh, God doesn't love me anymore. And everybody said, who told me that? Who told you that? Who told you Jesus doesn't love you anymore? Just because you did something stupid doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love you. Just because you did something stupid doesn't mean you broke the covenant. The covenant exists and is there. He doesn't break his covenant with you. God is a covenant God. We receive Jesus into our heart. We enter into a covenant. And into the covenant, we have access to promises. So this is, the, this is the benefit plan. So here's what the church does. Sadly, the church stays at the doorway of the kingdom. We come to Christ and we enter into the doorway. And, and if you were to look, if the Lord was to look across the span of his church, you would see a massive crowd of believers standing in the foyer of a beautiful house. The whole house belongs to them, but they can't get out of the front door because people believe that it's only about receiving Jesus. That's paramount, okay? I'm not diminishing that in any way, but Christ, Jesus is the door into the kingdom. He's the door into eternal life. I understand all that, but you have to understand also that as you enter into covenant with God and you begin to become his son or you begin to become his daughter, your father's rich. I don't know if you know that. Your father's a king, and if, if my father's a king, what's that make me? A prince. Right? If, you're, if, you're a, if you're a woman and your father's a king, what's that make you? That's right. You're divine royalty. We have a hard time accepting this because we tend to filter his view of us through ourselves. No one has the right to define you but him. And oftentimes the believer in the church, church, church is right in the pocket on this. We train the believer to see themselves in light of themselves. You are not to see yourself in light of who you are. You're to see your light in, in yourself in, or who you think you are. You're to see yourself in light of who he says you are. Did anybody here say I'm a son of the highest? Anybody? You know, you didn't come up with that idea, yet that's what he says. He says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nature, a nation, right? Called out of darkness and into light to proclaim his praise, right? That's who you are. You're an ambassador of Christ. You're seated in heavenly places. Do you know you're an equal authority in this world spiritually with Jesus? You're not seated. He didn't even seat you beneath it. I know this is a concept that's beyond our understanding. You are seated with Jesus in heavenly places. There's authority that's given to you. There's position that's given to you. You're called a son or a daughter. And we have to view ourselves not in light of who we think we are. We have to view ourselves not in light of what other people think we are or what, they, who, what identities they give us. And so your, your, your father is a king. He's given you promises, and he's given you an inheritance. Say this. Promises and inheritance must be activated. A promise requires an action. An inheritance requires an activation. So in other words, the promise basically says, given it shall be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. So what's the promise? It will be given to you. But what's the, what, what's the activation? You've got to give, right? Okay, right? If you call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. That's the verse right there. So the Lord's going to show you great and mighty things that you know not of, but you got to what? Right. So he's promised to show you great and mighty things that you know not of. But you have to do something. So his promises relate to an action. 
Inheritance relates to an activation. So an inheritance really does, it requires for you just to position yourself and begin to draw from it because it's already yours. Promises are attained through action, through plan, and through purposes. They're separate things. Church tends to throw all this stuff in a basket. That's not how God relates to us. That's not even what he lays out for us. Every believer has an inheritance. You have an inheritance in the saints, but you have promises over your life. You have destiny over your life. There are things that are in his word that he promised. The Bible says he's no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he'll do for another, right? So, you know, you see God working in that person's life, and you see something that happened, and you can say, Lord, I, that's where I want to go. That's what I want to be. I want to be some version of what you're doing in that person's life. And Jesus is going to tell you, will you walk the same road this guy will walk? Will you walk down and will you do the same things? The Christian, most of the time, this is dormant Christianity in America. We sit on a couch and we're eating potato chips and we think Jesus is just going to do it all for you. You're born again. You're saved. I get that. That's done. But your destiny, your calling, your purpose, all of those things are not going to happen unless you participate. You have to participate. Does this make sense? Okay. <laughs> Say this. In his name is his nature. Okay. Big point. So God's name is his nature. Not only is his name, in his name, say this, so, we're gonna, so let's just set aside the promises because I want to focus on inheritance. This, is, this comes with the plan, right? This is all, you got to access this, but this comes with the benefit package. Say this, in his name is my inheritance. Romans says this, so God wants us to, so 58 times in the scripture, 58 times in 66 books, that's pretty significant, 58 times the Lord tells us through verses to call upon his name. Not just call upon him, call upon his name, right? So we have to, if, we under, if you understand the fullness of the dynamics of his name, you begin to draw from what actually belongs to you. So here's what Romans says. How are they going to call on him if they haven't believed? So that's the first step. And how are they going to believe in him if they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear unless somebody tells them, hey, my name's Kevin, I'm your friend, okay? And how shall they, how shall they preach to them unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel of pre peace. Say this, who bring good news of good things. That's what the message is all about. Good news of good things, Christian. The manifold grace of God. So in other words, God is telling us to call upon him, but he also understands that you cannot call upon him unless somebody teaches you this. You cannot call upon him unless you understand this. You can understand it by divine revelation. The Lord just shows you and gives you an insight, but more practically, the way we understand it is when we're instructed into it. And that's kind of like what I'm trying to do here. Manifold grace of God, there's many facets. He gives us access to his nature, and he gives us access to, his, to our inheritance through his name. There are five areas of your inheritance. Let me read this verse, and I'm going to tell you what they are, right? Here's Paul's prayer. So Paul is talking to a church at, at Ephesus. This is a very biblical church, right? Ephesus was known for the righteous understanding of the word of God. They knew their word. They knew their doctrine. Jesus, that's one of the churches in the book of Revelation that Jesus calls out. He's like, man, you guys can quote scripture like nobody, but you've lost the love. <laughs> the letter kills, the spirit gives life. You know, there's, the, the love isn't flowing anymore. Everything's rules, everything's regulation, everything's correct biblical interpretation. So Paul is talking to this church that understood everything meticulously and understood the Bible meticulously, and they, had, they were inerrant in their doctrine, yet there was a living component of the faith that they were not experiencing. You contrast that with Corinthians. Corinthians are Christians gone wild. 
they had the living faith going on. And Paul's like, okay, we got this whole life thing going on. We got all this, you know, spirit stuff going on. You guys need to get a little bit more word here, you know. So you got one church that's like, woo, yeah, you know, glory. And Paul's like, okay, let's put some word in here. Then you got another church that's just like frozen, chosen, dead as a doornail. We got it all right. We got it all right. Biblically correct. I've been around people like that. If I misquote a verse, if I move the word, they're going to go, biblically, that's not correct, pastor, because you put this word in front of that word. I'm like, really? Really? I was telling them, have a Cinnabon, man. You know, just relax. You know what I'm saying? Just take it easy. Ephesus says this. So Paul is praying for this church at Ephesus. Again, biblically correct. And what is he asking them for? That their eyes of their understanding would be opened. That they wouldn't just see these things as structural. They wouldn't just see these things as just these just monoliths or these just pillars and all of these rules. They would understand that there is an enlightenment that they need. That they would know what the hope of his calling is. So there's destiny. That they would know the riches of the inheritance that's given to them. So he's praying for them for the very thing that I, we try to talk about here every week. What? At Kaleo, your calling you know, your position in Christ, and then also your inheritance, the, the richness of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. You have an inheritance. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards you, according to the working of his mighty power? So Paul's praying for this church, saying, listen, my prayer for you, Ephesians chapter 1, is that you guys would understand what actually belongs to you. And if you can actually begin to belong to you, come on. If you can actually belong, we love participation here, so you guys can help me out. I love it. <laughs> That's right. Come on. Rock on, man. So I'm going to give fruit and vegetables. So if ever I uh, say anything, you actually just throw vegetables at me. You know? <laughs> not that, that kind of participation. Anyway, so, okay. So here's the, here's the five areas of our covenant promises. This is all yours by inheritance. This belongs to you. This is yours. Right? So here, I'm going to give you the five areas, and I'm going to show you how his name relates to each one of those five areas and how his name can be activated in prayer through these five areas. First area is deliverance and forgiveness of sin and its lingering effect that belongs to every believer. It's not just the forgiveness and the deliverance of sin. How many knows we also need to be set free from the lingering effects of sin? Can I get a witness, right? So that's yours. So you don't have to live with the lingering effects of a world gone away, right? So you come out of the world, you come into Christ, you know, and you're moving forward, and yet these lingering effects of your former life continue to follow you. The Bible says that that is not your inheritance, do you understand that? That doesn't belong to you. Who told you you had to carry with you that dead man? Who told you you had to bring that along with you? The Bible says that he will deliver you from, the, from sin, and he will deliver you from its lingering effects, the deliverance and the forgiveness of sin and its lingering effects. Second part of your covenant promise is the fullness of the Spirit, right? This belongs to every believer, every believer. You don't have to work for this. It's yours. You just have to activate it. That's right. The fullness of his Spirit. Every believer can access the Holy Spirit in fullness. It's not about him. It's about you. How far do you want to go? Right? How deep do you want to go? If you want more fullness of the Spirit, you have to give up more of you. You're so full of yourself that the Spirit cannot fill you. That's the problem. You understand that? That's what happens with most believers is that they don't go far enough because there's parts of their life that they want to hold on to. There's different compartments within the soul that's safe, secure to them, and the Spirit of God cannot go where you don't let Him go. It's the same thing with worship. 
You go, when worship happens, when you lean in and you empty yourself in worship, all of a sudden fullness comes upon you. That's why people are in the room, they're going like this, you know? You're like, what's up with them? Because they're releasing themselves and fullness is moving in them. That's what's happening. But most believers, we do this. You know, American church, we're latte worshipers. So we hold a cup of coffee in our hand and we just kind of do this, you know? <laughs> Frappuccino. Woo, all right. And we sit down. God wants you to give yourself. You can see it. You can, you can immediately understand it. As you yield and you begin to yield yourself in worship, you come out of your own dignity. You come out of your own self-awareness. You become not self-aware, but Jesus-aware. And you begin to empty yourself towards the Lord. You know what happens? His presence begins to move with you. We're so full of ourselves. That's the point. God can't move into those areas. You have to be willing to do it. Same thing with spiritual gifts. It's not about shaking. It's not about clucking. It's not about jumping chairs. It's about activating the presence and the power of God that belongs rightfully to you. You can prophesy. Do you want to? You can speak in tongues. Do you want to? It's not an issue of whether you can or can't. The issue is with you. You understand? You can dream dreams and see visions. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me you can. Acts chapter 2. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men and old men will see vision, dream dreams, and see visions. It belongs to all of you. He didn't say the righteously correct will do this. Those who keep doctrine perfectly, those whose lives are in a holy state of purified sanctification will activate the glory. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that at all. It's not about you. It's your inheritance. Right, Matt? <laughs> I use Matt because like, it's just a cool story, Matt, so don't get mad at me. But um, like we, we do fire starters. I shared this story before, but we do fire starters. And one of the things that happens is we do prophetic activation. And Matt's experienced a lot of stuff with the Lord, right? So laying on of hands and teaching people how to activate and lay hands on the sick, Matt's kind of like going, meh, been there, done that. You know, all these other things, you know, that, that he's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it came to prophetic word, and he's like, hold on a second. You're saying I'm going to prophesy today? I'm like, you're going to prophesy today. It's like, you're saying I'm going to prophesy today. I'm like, you're going to prophesy today. And so we bring Matt up, right? So if you ever come to Firestarters, this is how it works. Bring Matt up, start giving prophetic word. And he starts giving word, starts giving word. And then Matt's just kind of lingering there for a while. And then probably, I don't know how it worked, but by the end of the session, Matt's like, we, we, we nicknamed him the machine. You know, he was just like, man, I just see this. And it just immediately started to activate with prophetic why? Is Matt, was Matt born and ordained and called to be a prophet to the nations? Well, maybe, but what he was activating was with his by right of inheritance. This was, yes, there's the, there's, the, there's the gift of the prophetic, there's the ministry of the prophetic, and there's the office of the prophet. They are different. They're different. Every believer can operate in the ministry of the prophetic. That's not a question. The issue is, is do you want to? That's the issue. Every Christian can operate in the ministry of healing. Right? So we have, the ministry, we have the gift of healing, which is the ability to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We have the ministry of healing, and then we have people who are called in ultimately like healing evangelists. They're different. They're different. If you want, you, you can grow into those things. You can covet the higher gift. You can operate in the ministry of the prophetic and you go, wow. Or you can operate in the gift of the prophetic and you go, Lord, I really want to develop. This is a ministry. I want to be a minister. I want to be somebody who can minister prophetically. You can do that. You're just going to have to develop yourself. But, but, but regardless of that, you can activate in the gift because it belongs to you. You can, see, you can dream dreams and see visions. You want to leave the, you want to leave the reservation? We, we leave the reservation. We don't, you know, listen, we go to Firestar, so I'll give you another one. You guys want to hear this or don't you? Because if not, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back to my message. I'm going to come right back here. I'm trying to show you what's yours. 
And I'm trying to get you to understand and experience God in a living, powerful way. So we do vision encounter at uh, Firestarters. God will give you a vision. You'll see a vision that day, right? It's the first day we do it. God's like, the Lord tells me, I want you to take them into a vision counter. Paul says, let us go into visions. Let us now, let us go into visions. They're in the Bible. I know it weirds people, well, there's visions in the Bible. There's visions in the Bible, Christian. It's in the Bible. All the way through. What do you think the book of Revelation is? What is it? It's a vision, right? How, how do you think this stuff happened? Paul said it, the gospel was given to him how? By revelation, was it not? Not outside of the word, so it was the word with revelation. So the Holy Spirit gave him revelation into the scriptures of his forefathers. And Paul was able to understand all of the stuff that was given to his forefathers through Judaism, and he was able to understand that God's completed work through the process. By what? Revelation. He, he says it. He tells us this. We do, we do those things. Those are things just to activate you, but that belongs to you. So you listen, you say, I don't want the Holy Spirit to activate. Don't worry, he never will. If you don't want it, it's not coming. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I just kind of like standing there when the worship's playing. You know, I don't know if I want to encounter him in worship. Don't worry, you won't. You won't. But don't look around and wonder why others can and you can't. The issue isn't with you can. You just, it just costs you something. Revival costs dignity. We are held within the prisoners of our... The greatest prison that people live in is not the opinions of others. It's the opinion of themselves. You want to talk about what the prisons of a life are? The majority of people live upon the earth in prisons of other people's opinions of them. They don't do, act, love, say, whatever, because they're afraid of what? What others will think, right? And then, and, but there's a greater prison beyond what others will think. The greater prison is what you think. You keep... No one holds you back. The only person holding you back is you. And until you get to that point, you'll never be free. I didn't say you're not born again. I didn't say you're not free in Christ. But the only person that holds you back is you. Yeah. And so you got to confront you. That's another story. <laughs> so you're given, we're given deliverance, forgiveness of the lingering effects of sin, the fullness of his presence. We're given its soundness. This is, again, a covenantal promise that belongs to every believer. Soundness where? Spiritual soundness. God has promised it to you. God has promised emotional soundness to you. Right? Who told you you had to live with crazy? Right? Who told you? All of us got a little crazy. I'm just with you, right? The older you get, the more crazy you realize, wow, I've been carrying crazy for a long time. But crazy when I was young didn't seem crazy. Now when I'm older, crazy seems crazy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> when you're young, crazy's forgivable. When you get older, crazy, you're like, what? I got crazy, right? <laughs> but God, you don't have to keep crazy. Say it. I can keep crazy if I want to. That's right. But you don't have to keep crazy. Who told you that? God has promised you soundness of spirit. God has promised you soundness of soul, mind, will, and emotion. God has promised you soundness of body, healing, Christian, wholeness. It's a holistic gospel. He's promised you these are yours by inheritance. My inheritance. Gladys' latest healing story. My, my wife's aunt. She's I don't want to get the whole story, but I'll just summarize it. She gives me the phone, says, my aunt's on the phone. Uh, my Uncle Ken's on the phone. Um, Beverly's uh, uh, feels lightheaded, and she's slurring her words. And, you know, you know, pray, okay, right? And so I just, again, Holy Spirit, what do you want? Boom, we activate it. I said, well, that's not your inheritance. Slurring your words and passing out is not your inheritance. 
So I've just begun to lead her in the prayer, activating the glory of God, getting her to activate into her own inheritance what is hers by right of, uh, right, right of inheritance. And just with, by the end of the prayer, she's sitting up and talking normal. She got up, got dressed, and went to church. <gasps> I don't believe that. Okay, where's Charmaine? Charmaine, you, did you, what, what are they going to do to you? What were they going to do to you? This is just recent. This is, this, is, this is stuff in the last four months. Okay, this isn't like... You know, four years ago, and the glory of God visited this place. By God, we had one person in a decade that was healed. <laughs> what are they going to do? They're going to take. They're giving you a full hysterectomy, weren't they? They're going to take it all out because they said she had a tumor. We pray, did we not? Multiple times, but no matter. I don't care how many times it takes. It was whatever it takes. When we act, is that your inheritance? Is your does, is, is the devil going to take out your your? Is the devil going to let you get a hysterectomy? No, he's not. Is it not your inheritance? Is that your inheritance? No. We activate her into her inheritance. I said, tumor's not your inheritance, Charmaine. That's not that. Did, did, Jesus, did, did Jesus tell you that? Did Jesus tell you you're going to get your you're gonna get a hysterectomy? Well, we just, need to be, we just need to follow the medical profession, people. This is where Christians are. We're Christian dumb. We're dumb Christians. And we, we, we will fly around the world to get somebody to give us a medical opinion, but we won't take a place in the prayer line because it might embarrass me. Oh, God, i got to come up in front of... 200 people that I don't know, what will they think of me? But I'm going to the Cleveland Clinic, you know, and I'll sit in the room with a bunch of other people and I'll feel dignified because I'm at the Cleveland Clinic and I got a specialist that's going to see me. It's how stupid we are. It's how stupid we are. Because then we make excuses for our own powerlessness and we make excuses for our inability to activate what is ours by inheritance. You against doctors? I'm for doctors, man. But I'm going to tell you who I'm for more than anybody else, the great physician whose name is Jesus. All right? That's my inheritance. If that is the path that I have to take, then so be it. But I go to Jesus first. 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 They're going to take my wife's ovary out. Sitting in the church. There's another one, right? This is, this is a little bit of time ago. I'm freaking out. Specialist. Got to go, got to go see a specialist. Got to go see a specialist. You know? Specialist is like, well, Sherry, we have a robot. We're going to take your ovary out with a robot. You know, you know, don't worry, it's painless, and you know, we're gonna take good care of you. I'm in there and I'm freaking out. This is my wife, you know. I'm like, I'm sweating on the inside. Man of faith and power has just lost all faith. I'm like, what? I walk out of the room, and my wife, I'm like, I didn't even know what to say. Sherry goes, I feel good. I feel good. I said, Really? She's like, Devil's not taking my ovary. I said, Devil's not taking my ovary. She said, up until the point, the point that I'm forced into that surgery, the devil has not taken my ovary. She's like, I don't care what I got to do. I don't care where I got to go. It doesn't matter to me. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? We're faithless. Faithless generation. Will the Son of Man find what? On the earth. Well, we have faith, Pastor. We believe that Jesus is Lord. Demonstrate your inheritance. And then you'll know that Jesus is Lord. Paul said, I come to you with tinkling words. I come to you with what? Demonstration and power. It's not about words. Words are great. I love words. I do words for a living, basically. But it, words mean nothing. Demonstration and power. That woman, that, the woman that did the sonogram that had the, had the tumor on Sherry, she was freaking out. Freaking out. She's like taking copious notes because when they did the sonogram, they couldn't find it anymore. She's like, I've never seen anything like this. I've, just, I've never seen anything like this. This is crazy. And she's like, I can't believe it. And she's looking at both of the sonogram sheets, and she's just like, she's like, it's just gone. 
And she goes, do you mind if I use this as a case study? And I'm like, then here's Kevin with his faith. By all means. <laughs> I hung it from the front of the thing. I said, before, after. I had the sonogram, before. And I had the sonogram, after. Before, after, before, after. It's a fight, but it's yours. The kingdom suffers what? That's right. What is the kingdom? The king's dominion in your life. The ruling reign of Christ in your life. The ruling reign in Christ in her life is divine how? But she's got to fight for it. The ruling, reign of li- the ruling reign of Christ in your life is prosperity and blessing and wholeness and future and destiny. But you've got to fight for it. You've got to put a rag on your head and a knife in your teeth. You're not fighting Jesus. You're fighting the devil because he does not want you to manifest kingdom. He does not. Oh, you can manifest Christianity all you want. He pretty much has conceded that. But just try to manifest kingdom and watch how the enemy comes against you. Oh, yeah. Big difference. That's why Christians don't need, church don't even believe in the devil anymore because they're not doing anything. Well, we just have happy. I don't know what you're talking about, pastor. You just seem to always be in a dogfight. I'm like, well, I'm like, what am I doing different? The Lord's like, you're bringing kingdom, Kevin. And because you bring kingdom, the devil opposes you. Just real. But it's yours by right. I'm telling you, there's going to come a time... Okay, the you know, Bible uses this word. I'm going to use this word. I know I'm running long. I'm not running long, but we got a lot to do. I'm going to use this word because it's important. Anybody ever heard this verse, we wrestle not against flesh and blood? You ever heard that? This is how the church interprets it. It's like we're waltzing. We waltz not against flesh and blood, but with principalities twirl and powers. See, that's how we, that's how we do it. Like, you ever heard that? Like, I've heard that, I've heard that word, ta- I've heard that taught. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. Do you know what the word wrestle means? It means pale in Greek. You know what it means? To grab by the throat and throw to the ground. That's what that word means. We do not grab by the throat and throw to the ground flesh and blood, but we grab by the throat and we throw to the ground principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. You've got to grab it by the throat and throw it to the ground. That's it. We waltz. Oh. Oh, what is it, Foxtrot? I don't even know how to do any moves. I gotta get some of the dancers up here to show me how to do moves. I have none. I got a little bit. I got that. I got some jigs, but that's about all I got. It's yours. Provision and guidance belongs to you. Wisdom's for you anytime you need it. Anytime. It belongs to you. You don't have to beg. It belongs to you. Security is yours. God will protect you. Did you know that? God will protect you. Some of you, you can, exp- you can testify by experience. You have done horrible things, and you should have been destroyed. Or somehow, somewhere, you've been put in a horrible situation, and that situation should have utterly destroyed you. Because lesser people than other, greater people than you, whatever they are, were destroyed by what you went through, but you weren't. Why? Because the Lord protects you. He is your security. He is the one who, st- who causes you to stand when others fall. This is, who, this is yours. You look like it's going to take me down. This is not going to take me down. Destruction is not my inheritance. But we do. We partner with it all the time. Well, this just must be God's will. Must be God's will to destroy me. Who told you that? Who? We, we just, just stupidity, man. Just constant stupidity. Trust me. I've been there. I was trained this way. So when I call stupid out, I call me out first. I have to be transformed by the what? Right, right. I've been transformed by the, that's right. 
I was schooled, totally different. Everything I tell you, I, they schooled me that way. Well, if it's God's will, Pastor. Let's just pray. Let me show you how to pray. Lord, if it's your will. That's how they taught me to pray. That's, that's the biblical model of prayer in most churches, and in most denominations, in most congregations, or it's the begging prayer. Please, God. Oh, God, please. It's if it's either the if it be your will prayer or it's the begging prayer. It's neither. It's son and daughter prayer. It's right of inheritance prayer. It's boldness. It's glory. It's activation. It's what it is. So let's just go through some words here. We're going to do some activation. Anybody want to do some activation? Okay, we're going to do this. All right, we're just going to run through these names, and then we're going to do it. All right, so deliverance from sin. What, is, what name does he give us? He gives us the name Jehovah de Sidkenu, which means righteousness. Righteousness. It means you are right before God right now in Christ, and there's nothing that you can do that will ever make you more right before him. You are accepted in the beloved. Jesus said, all who come to me, I will in no way cast out. Jeremiah 23, 6, the Lord is our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're right. Righteousness means right before God or what is right to God. When you come before the Lord, you are right to him, not based upon you, based upon Jesus. That's who you are. He doesn't see you in light of yourself. He sees you in light of him. That's your covenant promise. Deliverance from sin, the lingering effects of sin, that's what he does. So where's the lingering effects? This is Jehovah, see the compound words, and he joins his name to another word, Makadesh. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 8, is the Lord who sanctifies. To sanctify means he sets you apart. For by one offering, Jesus has perfected us. This is Hebrews, which means you are right. You're already perfected. Say, I don't look perfect. I, neither do I. But you're already perfected. There's nothing that he needs from you to make you acceptable to him. There's nothing. You are already acceptable to him in Christ. Now, we start that, where, we, where we lose it is we lose the destiny, the calling, the purpose of our life, which is an entirely separate component of our faith. Positionally accepted is guaranteed. You are positionally accepted. You are translated from darkness into light. It's done. Done. You may not see it manifested. You may believe lies that keep you from seeing it. But in Christ, so this is what happens. You have got to come to the place where you know you're accepted and loved. One of the biggest things that destroys the believer is lies that they believe. That lies that they believe. They believe that God is not good. They believe God doesn't love them or they have some issue with value and worth as to their own acceptance before him. You're accepted on your worst day. He loves you even when you're against you. He's for you even when you, it doesn't mean he, he's, it doesn't mean like the Lord's looking at you going, I approve of everything in your life, Kevin. He doesn't approve, but he's able to separate what I'm doing from the person that I am, right? And he understands most of the, most of you in here, you're going to realize if you struggle with externals and you struggle with behavioral issues in your life, really what that is, is that is a testimony to you that you don't know who you are. You don't. If you knew you were a daughter, you wouldn't make that choice. If you knew you were a son, you wouldn't make that choice. If you knew who, you, who he is, you wouldn't fear anything at all. Don't feel bad. I've been there, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I feel bad. I don't know who I am, right? If you have an issue with acceptance before the Lord, you have an issue with, with faith before God, that's an identity issue. And he understands that. When you understand who you are, identity is the... So goodness of God is number one, and identity is second. Yeah. Who he is and who I am to him. Doesn't matter what people think of me. I'm loved. I'm accepted. 
I don't judge myself based upon my own actions, ever. <laughs> doesn't mean I'm not doing everything. Doesn't mean I'm, I, I, doesn't even mean I approve of it. But I know that I will never again lower myself beneath an identity that he has established for me. And until you get that, until you get that, not, your life's not going to transform. I have no right to lower myself beneath the identity that he has established for me. So what's the question? What identity has he established for me? Does my perception of myself in him higher or lower than that? 99.9% is lower. Son of the highest. Heir of this world and the one to come. Been given great and precious promises that I may draw from my father's divine nature. I have an inheritance. I can activate it anytime, anywhere. People look at me like you're from Mars. I say this stuff, I told you, I say this stuff to pastors. They think like, like I'm some arrogant, I'm like, I didn't call myself that. That's who would call me. And you, are, you will not lower me, nor will I lower me. I will not lower myself, nor will I allow another to lower me. The only one who has a right to establish my identity is Jesus, and I will allow no one to do that. No one, because he died to give it to me. Right? I will not even allow myself. I give myself a few high karates. You are a son of the highest. Who told you that? <laughs> Again, just, it's my way. That's how I do it. Talk to myself in the mirror. Talk to myself in the car all the time. But he's the one who sanctifies. To sanctify Jehovah Makadesh. he's setting you apart from what has been carrying you. So God's, one of the ways the spirit of God is working in your life is to sanctify you. And do you know one of the ways he sanctifies us? We think sanctification is external. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. I'm sanctified. I don't smoke, drink, or chew, hang out with those that do, don't listen to any Jay-Z, and don't go to any R-rated movies anymore. I am sanctified. That's not not what he's talking about. The Spirit of God (laughs) is just not really what he's talking about. Yes, okay, that's good, but what he's really talking about is he's trying to reveal to you issues within your life that are barriers to intimacy with him what he's trying to do is reveal to you issues in your life that are barriers to the hope and the calling that he has placed upon your life so when he's sanctifying you he's trying to show you kevin you have a false belief system about me you have a false belief system about yourself (laughs) you believe religiosity is the way to go that's not it you believe these are the way, you believe you're unaccepted. Whatever it may be, these are the things that God is sanctifying us with. And he's not even looking at your habits. Most of your habits are directly related to identity. Almost always. It will change you, but you've got to let him change you. You've got to let him show you, right? You hide away. You can't get around people unless you're riding high. You have an identity issue. You feel that your value and worth is based upon your accomplishments. You feel your value and worth is based upon your achievements. Who told you that? You know, we run from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship, and we can't settle on anyone. You have an identity issue, right? You have a fear of commitment. You have an identity issue. Oh, I know it's getting real. (laughs) Don't shout me down on that, but... He's sanctifying you. So we have to understand that God is sanctifying you. He is trying to free you from the lingering effects, right? That's what Christians do. We come out, and we got the stench of the former life following us around. That's, so I'm made right. I'm resurrected. I'm right in Christ, and he wants to deliver me, cut me off from the stench that keeps following me around. The lies that I believe that I keep carrying with me, the habits that I brought in with me, he wants to show me where those are coming from. He wants to free me. Big, big, big issue. Don't have time to fully develop. Then the second thing is fullness, Jehovah Shema. So here we have Jehovah Mekadesh, we have Jehovah Desid Canu. So this is his name. So when we pray, we say, Father, I just thank you. You are my righteousness. You are Jehovah Desid Canu. Even if you can't say the word, it's okay. We're gonna, we, we can focus on the righteousness. Lord, you're the one that sanctifies me. I thank you for that. 
The second one is, Jehovah, Jehovah, is, is fullness. Jehovah Shema. It means overflowing presence. Your inheritance gives you access to the overflowing presence of Jesus. Did you know that? Who? What glory? What glory? It is to your benefit that I go because if I do not go, the Holy Spirit will not come. I love that verse. You ever thought about that? If Jesus thought it enough to emphasize the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, I should give a little bit more of myself to that. Ah, it's to your benefit. So we have access to the overflowing presence. You can activate and engage with the Holy Spirit anywhere, anytime. That's also access to the spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not predicated upon you. They just are not. Bothers people, you know, but they're not. We need to bring the five-year-olds out here and start activating them, right? I don't know where Diana, do, do we not do that with them? We activate kids all the time. Wait a minute, they're not of mature age to activate in the Holy Spirit. Who told you that? Does that child get a junior Holy Spirit or do they get the same Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> they get a half portion? Actually, kids, you start teaching them to prophesy and you start teaching them to do that, man, they, they dial right in. They don't have all of the mental barriers and the stupid, they, they understand that God meets me in that world. They understand that world. They, they live in that world. They play in that world. As adults, we, you know, box it. It's given to you. You have access to his presence. Let your conduct be without covetous, be content in all things, for he himself said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. So you have the fullness of his presence, and you have the understanding that he is with you always. He's going to be with you. He's not going to let you sink. Would you let, if you had a chance to help your son, if you had a chance to deliver some, some, a family member or your son or your daughter from a circumstance, would you do it? Or would you just let evil fall on them? Would you? Well, you made your bed, son. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to sleep in it. If you had the ability, right? If you had the ability to help them, you would. You would. How is he any different? He's more than that. You have, you have, you have access to soundness. We have Jehovah Shema, which is his presence. Then we have soundness, which is Jehovah Rapha or Rophe. Anybody know what that means? Come on. The Lord my. Yeah, we know that one. Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord your healer. It says this. Well, Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. Moses said, the Lord is our healer. The Bible says that I sent my word and healed your diseases. So this is your access point. This is yours. You have, you have an ability. God is your healer. This is my inheritance. I'm giving you my name. And in my name is the access or the substance of my nature. In my name, you can call upon and draw from the name that I have given you. Well, what is that? Healing is in his name. Presence is in his name. That's why I'm saying these things belong to you. Does anybody here have the name of Jesus on them? Is Christ in you? You're called a Christian that means little Jesus. That's what it means, image of the anointing. So Christ means. We need to remember that. Any church pastors out there watching, the word Christian means anointed. The word Christ means anointed. The anointing is the presence and the power. We are images of what? The presence and the power of what? His kingdom. That's what we're supposed to be. We're not morally correct. We're not religiously correct. We're not politically correct. We are kingdom correct by demonstrating the flow of the anointing. That's what Christian means. FYI, and let's just throw this in here. I like to say it anyway. <laughs> so you say the same things, Pastor, because I'm trying to reinforce these understandings in your heart. Right. Say it with me. The devil, the devil. is not anti-Jesus. The devil is anti-Christ. He's not against Jesus. He's against the anointing. Oh, ho, ho, ho. that puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Watch the news. Watch anything worldly. Jesus is in the conversation. 
They don't have a problem with Jesus. Jesus is in the conversation. He's a good man. He's just one of many. He's whatever. The enemy resists the anointing. He resists the power, the inbreaking power, the glory, the power, the inheritance. Those are the, that's the anointing of God. He resists the flow of the anointing in the believer's life. These signs shall follow those who are morally correct. So we have Moses saying it. So Jehovah Rapha says, He who believes and is baptized, he who does not believe will be lost. These signs shall follow the religiously correct. Did he say that? These signs shall follow the morally correct. Did he say that? These signs shall follow those who are, in, who are in spiritual purification at the moment of activation. Did he say that? Are you a believer? Are you? Then what's it say? These signs shall follow you as you go. These signs are with you. You can draw from them. In my name they will what? Cast out devil. Speak with new tongues. And they will what? Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Jehovah Rapha. You have the ability to be healed emotionally. You have the ability to be healed physically. And you have the ability to be healed. We are healed spiritually. When we come to Christ, we get the spiritual healing immediately. But physical healing is oftentimes a journey. Emotional healing is oftentimes a journey. It's not complicated, but it's another step in the process. You have access to provision, right? Provision belongs to you. Happy day. Say it with me. I'm going to survive. You will survive. That's good news. That's right. I've seen the young old, and I've been old, and I've been, I've been young, David said, but wretches have never been forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. You will survive. Success and significance is a whole other level, but all the believers are going to survive. It's yours by provision. It's yours by right. Survival belongs to you. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. That's your provision, which means what? He will lead you. He will lead you. Psalm 23, and Jesus said, I am the good. That's right. So what is yours by inheritance? Wisdom is yours by inheritance. The leadership of the Holy Spirit is yours by inheritance. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you into what? All truth, right? So you get the idea? It's your inheritance. You don't have to beg for this. You don't have to plead for it. It belongs to you. You just got to draw on it. Lord, I need guidance here. I need wisdom here. Lord, I need you to show me what's missing. I need you to show me the mistakes that are happening, my decisions, my indecisions, the decisions that I'm not. You need to begin to access and mine that leadership that God provides through you through the shepherding leading you. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his namesake, which means the Lord will lead you in what is right. He will lead you. If you want to know what's right, he will lead you. (laughs) You may not always agree with it, but he will lead you in what is right. Jehovah Jireh, he will provide. Why didn't you put this first, right? Because it's about provision. Because the word provision means for the vision. Provision is for the vision. Pro, for, vision. For the vision. So we need God's leadership and guidance, and he will lead and guide, and then he will give for the vision. He will provide the means for the vision, for the direction. Jehovah Shalom, which is peace, right? We think peace. That's how the church interprets peace. It's like a Zen state. The peace of God. It's not what the word means. The word, it means like the banks of a river that rises and overflows its banks. The rising river that causes the land to flourish. Shalom, Christian. The river of God, rise in your life, overflow and flourish your land. That's yours. Who told you? Come on. That's right. Who told you your life had to be destitute? Who told you you had to suffer? Who told you you had to live in a wasteland? Who told you that? Is that your inheritance? I don't know. I'm just telling you it's not. Jehovah Shalom. He will provide for you. He will cause your fields to flourish. You will, be in, you will receive in season and out 
Your vine will not cast forth its fruit before its time. God will overflow you. It's your inheritance. We are the blessing of God. We're to be a glowing, radiating people in this world. But Christians sell out their inheritance all the time. Esau, we sell our birthright for morsels. We, we, buy, our, we buy into all the world's theologies, all the world's doctrines. We, we're just like the world. Just like the world. Look, look how the church responds. Lockstep, in time, with the world. I'm like, what? I mean, I'm not going to go off on COVID or beat anybody up on it, but just look, at, look around. Look, look at how we act. I'm like, I'm like, am I on Mars? Am I actually seeing this? But what's really being revealed is that the church's marriage or interplay with the, with, the, with the world. You're in the world, but not of it. The word world means cosmos, Christian. And you know what it means? System of thinking. We are in the world. We are in a system of thinking, but we are not of that system of thinking. But, oh, we can understand that conceptually, but what does it look like? I mean, look around. Church acts just like the world. We're not like the world. We don't handle our bodies like the world. We don't handle our money like the world. We don't handle sex like the world. We don't handle marriage like the world. We don't handle anything like the world. That's what Jesus tells us to do, yet that's exactly what we do. And we create churches that are just a better version of the world. I'm like, what? Trust me, I go to, I go to conferences. You guys think I'm crazy. They would teach you that we, well, we just, we need to, we need to study Disney World. Look, I'm all into studying Disney World. You know, if they do hospitality well, well, hey, we can learn. We can do hospitality better. But I don't need to give you a, a better version of a nightclub, right? I'm into skinny jeans and smoke machines. I'm down, right? I get it. I like production value. But if the heart of worship isn't there, then it doesn't matter. It's tinkling cymbals and clanging brass. It means nothing, right? It's true. <laughs> what a great crowd you are. What a wonderful church you are. <laughs> Overflow and to flourish. That's his will. Into security. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Next time you guys, you feel like you're not going to make it, you grab yourself by the shirt, you go into the mirror, and you just go like this. Who told you you're not going to make it? Who told you that? You have Jehovah Nisi over you. The banner of the Lord is over you. He will protect you. Security. You know what it means? As long as the banner was flying, the warriors were to keep fighting. That's what happened. They would go to war and the banner of the king would be established on the field. And they were to, as long as they would look to the banner and the banner would say, keep fighting. The banner would say, keep fighting. The king's banner flies. We fight. We fight to what? To the death, ultimately. This is what the Bible says. We don't like to teach that. Be faithful unto death. Well, that seems a little uncomfortable, pastor. I thought we were supposed to be faithful until I got uncomfortable. No, you, you fight to the end. But I'll give you another one. This is an even more beautiful picture. You're fighting, but the Lord fights what? That's right. The battle is the... Right, so watch this. This is crazy. The Lord will fight for you. He will win the victory. He will put your name on the banner, and he will wave the banner in the face of your enemies. You are on the banner of the victory that he wins. Who's like that? Who does that? You are the banner of victory. You are his beloved. The banner over us is love. And he's going to say, your circumstances says that. And the Lord says, no, no, that's my son. Put Kevin's name on that banner. Oh, we just going to win that victory? Boom. All right, put his name on the banner. And the Lord's just like waving it. Where's your faith? That's what my faith says. Come on, you guys want to pray? Come on, you want to pray? You want to interact? You want to interact? Anybody? I got anybody want to interact? All right.
So here's the interaction, right? We're gonna, well, I'm going I'm to coach you, so let me just coach you. Then we'll ask you to stand, but don't have to stand yet. What we're going to do is I'm going to pray through impartation. So we're going to pray, and we're going to receive through the prayer. This is where the prayer becomes interactive and not just merely observing it. So what am I doing? So I'll give you an example. All right, so we did this last week. This is where it gets vulnerable for me. But I'm, getting, I'm slowly getting more confident because this is how I pray. When I pray this prayer, this is how I pray, okay? And so it's a little bit vulnerable for me. But I told my wife, I said, after I do this about three or four times, I'm going to be all right with it. But the first time I was like, oh, I don't know if I should say this. This feels really, I feel like I'm naked up here. I mean, somebody get me a blanket. I don't know. But so we'll say, like, this is, we're not going this the way today, but we did last week. You know, Father, I just give you glory. And I just receive from you, Lord, a fresh impartation of my sonship. And we just begin to receive into us the impartation of your sonship. Say, what's impartation all about? Impartation, Christian is a basic understanding of your faith. If you ever read the book of Hebrews, Paul's talking to a bunch of Christians, and he says to them, you should be on meat, but you're still on milk. You should be teaching, but you're still in a position where having been taught. Look, we all still need to be taught. He's just basically saying, you guys are a bunch of babies, and you're still in diapers. And you've been saved for what, 12 years? You're a 12-year-old in a diaper? I mean, come on, dude. That's what he's saying. And one of the things he tells them in that same context is he says, I will not lay again for you the foundation of repentance from dead works, of baptisms. Anybody know? There's another one called the laying on of hands. So what does he say? What is he telling us? That the doctrine of impartation or the doctrine of the laying on of hands is just as basic and should be just as understood as repentance from dead works and baptism. And so what is the laying on of hands? It is impartation. It's transference. So it's a spiritual transaction. Power comes into you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So we have the Holy Spirit in us who manifests upon us. We also have the Holy Spirit who comes upon us. So we have the Spirit that will, that will move upon us, but the Spirit will rise within us. So when we're doing this, we're doing an impartation. I'm trying to teach you how to receive. This is how the kingdom is activated. You're going to release and we're going to receive, but we're going to receive. So we'll just receive impartation. Um, so all of the things that we just talked about, I'm going to pray you through these names this is, not, this is by no means an exhaustive, it, I'm, it's not going to take long, but it's no, by no means an exhaustive list, but you can build this out. As you begin to pray it, you can begin to add verses to it. You'd be amazed as you start leaning into this and starting to pray for it. And you're, if you develop it, you're going to be amazed how God will pull you out and pull you deeper into what you're praying. Because you're praying not as an observer, you're praying as a, as a participant. You're praying not, from, you're praying like, in position as a son or a daughter. Okay, anybody, everybody understand that? Am I, am I all right with this? Okay, so just stand on your feet. We're gonna do it. All you gotta do is do this. Open up my spirit. And you're just gonna let the Holy Spirit move in you. When I, when I say the impartation, you're just gonna receive. So what am I gonna receive? Some of you are gonna feel heat. Some of you are gonna feel power. Some of you, you might get the little goosebump, Willie. You said that, you know, let, whatever happens, let it happen. Others of you, you're gonna feel neutral. It's gonna feel very clear to you. If it's clear, that's fine, because that's faith. So if you feel nothing and it's neutral, that's okay. That's just your, that's faith being imparted to you. So that's still an impartation. Clarity is an impartation. Heat is an impartation. Power is an impartation. We all experience it different ways. I know we got communion. I got gotcha. you. So we're going to do this and we're going to do communion, right? Does that sound exciting? All right, you excited? All right. We're actually slightly early, so let's do this. Just say this with me. Father, I honor your name. I give you glory that I am a son or I am a daughter. I am beloved by you, and I am loved with an everlasting love. I honor you that I am perfectly accepted by you. I bless the name of Jesus. 
There is salvation in no other. I renew this day the joy of my salvation. I should open up your spirit, and I just want you to let joy come into you. You don't have to understand it. Just receive it. Just let joy. Joy is just going to come rushing into you. Let that come into you. Say this. I bless you, for you are my inheritance. You gave your blood for me so that I could have the fullness of my inheritance. Holy Spirit, you are with me to enable me to access it. Right now, I activate what is mine by right of inheritance. Lord, you are my righteousness. I am now and I am forever right before you, not because of anything I have done, but because of everything Jesus has done. Say this, I receive right now a fresh impartation of your righteousness. I just want you to feel righteousness come inside of you. Just let it come into you. I want you to say this, you have set me apart from from my sin and from my past, and you are delivering me from all of the lingering effects. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to go all the way. Set me apart no matter what it takes. In Jesus' name. I want you to open up your spirit. I want you to hear this word, this power, sanctification. Just let the word sanctification come inside of you. Just let it fill you. Let it move inside of you. And I want you to say this. I thank you, Lord, that you are always with me. I thank you that I have access to the spiritual gifts and the fullness of your presence. I activate all of this in the name of Jesus. Open up your heart. I want you to let fullness. Again, you don't have to understand it. Just let that word power and fullness just come inside of you. Just let it enter you. And say this. I thank you, Lord, that you are always with me. I thank you. Oh, I already did that. Back up. Sorry, my bad. We can do it again. More fullness. I thank you, Father, that you are my healer. You lead me in paths of what is right for your namesake. I activate healing and the restoration of the soul in my mind, in my emotions, and in my body. So we're gonna, I'm going to linger just a moment on this, and I just want you to feel the word healing come into you. Just let healing come into you, all right? Just let it move through you. I'll, I'll, again, I'll tell you what I do. I do this all the time. I let the Spirit of God come into me, and I just begin to move him. I let him flow through my organs. I let him move in my heart. Let him move through my bloodstream. That's really the best way to do it. I just let him rush through my blood. Just let him go through your, because your circulatory system touches everything. There's healing in the blood of Jesus. So we just release him into you. Let him move in you. Let him move in you. All right? Say this. I honor you that you are my provider. You are my guide, the one who causes my life to flourish. I activate wisdom, discernment, and courage, no matter the cost. Now let wisdom come into you. In the name of Jesus, just receive wisdom. It's a treasure. And receive courage to follow that wisdom. So let wisdom come into you and let courage come into you. And I want you to say this. I call forth the provision of God into my circumstances. I command all of the dead, dormant, and wasteful areas of my life to flourish. Now, this is called exousia. I want you to just release outwardly. 
Just he wants you to see any areas of your life that are barren. Some of you might just see like an empty field. Just release the glory of God. You're just going to release the power of God. This is, a, this is an activation. It's actually a word. It's called exousia. So you're just going to release the power of God into your dead, dormant situations. There's a circumstance. Just release the Holy Spirit into that by faith. In Jesus' name. Then we're going to say this. I thank you. That you are, and I honor you, that you are my banner, you are my identity, you are my past, my present, and my future. Say this, no weapon that is formed against me will prosper. The sun will not strike me by day, nor the moon by night. A thousand may fall by my side, and ten thousand at my right side, but it will not come near me. Your banner over me is victory and not defeat. Your banner over me is love and acceptance. And so I just want you to feel victory come inside of you. Just let that word victory come inside of you. And I want you to feel just love. I know we're doing this quick, but I gotta move. I just want you to let love come inside of you. Let love begin to fill you, and then let acceptance begin to fill you. Just let love and acceptance, victory, love and acceptance in Jesus' name. Say this, I praise you, Jesus, for all of these things and so much more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, did anybody encounter that? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Yeah? Anybody not want to do it? No, I'm just kidding. All right, so we're going to take communion. So what's what we're going to do? So is Jody here? Yes, she is.